Welcome to Clinical Neurology Podcast where you will learn over 12 episodes how to localize a lesion in neurology based on history taking and physical examination. The podcast is meant for medical students and to make them enjoy learning neurology. Medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, critical care, neurology residents, general practitioners and nurse practitioners will find it beneficial. Study materials and clinical resources for the podcast are available in show description and at neurologyteachingclub.com website. I am your host Dr. Krishnadas NC and let's get started. We discussed spinal cord anatomy and various spinal cord syndromes in the last session. We will use that knowledge to localize spinal cord lesions in this session. The spinal cord lesions have an axial and vertical localization. Axial localization refers to whether a lesion is intramedullary or extramedullary. Transverse myelitis is a classic example of an intramedullary lesion. Cervical spondylosis with myelopathy is an example of an extramedullary compressive lesion. Vertical localization refers to the lesion being in the cervical, thoracic, lumbar or sacral level and within each which segmental level. For example, a patient with paraplegia and sensory level at T10 with Beaver's sign positive localizes the lesion to thoracic or T10 level. Axial localization Axial localization refers to whether the lesion is intramedullary that is within the spinal cord or extramedullary that is lying outside the spinal cord. The extramedullary lesions can be further divided into extradural and intradural depending on whether the lesion is inside or outside the dura. Cervical spondylosis with myelopathy is an example of an extradural extramedullary lesion. A meningioma compressing the cord is an example of an intradural extramedullary lesion. It is difficult to differentiate between intradural and extradural extramedullary lesions. The presence of vertebral pain and tenderness, deformity like a step or gibbous in the back are the clues to distinguish between the two. An extramedullary compressive lesion goes through three stages according to Oppenheim. An initial stage of radicular pain and segmental motor and sensory symptoms. The initial phase is followed by a Brown-Sicard syndrome and finally a complete transection of the cord. The rapidity of development of these stages depends on the etiology and can be acute or chronic. Some of the cardinal features of extramedullary compression include radicular or root pain which is an unilateral lancinating pain down the dermatome on coughing, straining or valsalva. The patient will have early corticospinal tract involvement with lower limb spasticity more than the upper limb. The leg is more involved as leg fibers are laterally placed in the corticospinal tract than arm fibers. The lower motor neuron findings are rare and if present occurs at the segmental level at the site of compression. The patient will have only late bladder involvement. They have ascending paresthesia as sacral fibers are laterally placed in the spinothalamic tract. Funicular or tract pain is less common. The patient can have vertebral pain and tenderness which suggests extramedullary extradural lesion. The intramedullary lesion arises within the spinal cord. It can present as a central cord syndrome like syringomyelia or complete transection of the cord as in transverse myelitis. It can be patchy, short segment or long segment. All intramedullary lesions share some common features which include early bladder involvement except in the case of syringomyelia. Lower motor neuron weakness is more prominent due to early anterior involvement. Upper motor neuron weakness and signs are late. 
radicular pain and vertebral pain are rare in an intramedullary lesion tract or funicular pain is more common descending paresthesia and sacral sparing are seen as sacral fibers are laterally placed in the lateral spinothalamic tract and are the last to involve in an intramedullary lesion all findings may not be present in an individual case there may be some overlap between intramedullary and extramedullary features imaging will be required to differentiate between the two in some cases vertical localization the patient will have a weakness level reflex level and sensory level the history along with these three levels helps to localize the lesion in the spinal cord properly the sensory level is most helpful in a thoracic cord lesion with minimal dermatomal overlap it is important to remember that the pain and temperature fibers cross over to the opposite side only two segments above the entry level it can provide localization confusion in a hemicord transection the sensory level is less reliable in cervical and lumbar spinal cord lesions due to the significant dermatomal overlap here the reflex level is more helpful in localization as the reflex will be sluggish or absent at the lesion level and exaggerated below the lesion level the patient will have lower motor neuron findings including hypotonia decreased reflexes weakness and wasting at the level of the lesion and upper motor neuron findings below the lesion for example in a patient with cervical myelopathy due to spondylosis at c5 level the biceps and supinator reflex will be absent the triceps and finger flexors are exaggerated the patient may not have a proper sensory level due to the significant overlap of dermatomes in the upper limb now let us learn some specific findings at certain levels it is important to remember that all findings may not be present in an individual case the absence of a sign does not take anything away from the diagnosis if other features are corresponding for example in a patient with a t10 segment lesion the presence of beaver sign will help to localize the lesion the same patient can also present without the beaver sign the absence of beaver sign does not rule out the possibility of a t10 lesion if it is there it helps if it is not there still the localization is possible you don't have to give an explanation for a normal finding which is the absence of beaver in a patient with t10 lesion foramen magnum lesion foramen magnum lesion causes high cervical myelopathy the findings in a foramen magnum lesion include neck stiffness down beating nystagmus and papilledema due to csf obstruction the patient can have a facial sensory loss in an onion skin pattern due to the involvement of the long tract of trigeminal nucleus extending to the cervical cord lower cranial nerve palsy can occur due to extension of the lesion to the brain stem a round the clock upper motor neuron weakness can occur with weakness spreading from the ipsilateral upper limb to the ipsilateral lower limb then the contralateral lower limb will be involved and finally the contralateral upper limb they can also have an atypical presentation at the pyramidal decussation the segregation of arm fibers occur rostrally and leg fibers caudally a lesion can cause an unusual weakness involving the ipsilateral lower limb and contralateral upper limb this is called hemiplegia cruciata the patient can have a suboccipital pain in the c2 dermatome the patient can also have lermity sign which is an electric shock like sensation transmitted down the spine or to the extremities with the sudden flexion of the neck the common causes for foramen magnum lesions include tumors like meningioma atlantoaxial dislocation basilar invagination etc high cervical lesion c1 to c4 along with quadriparesis these patients will have weakness of the sternocleidomastoid and trapezius as the spinal portion of the spinal accessory nerve is involved they may also have diaphragmatic palsy due to phrenic nerve involvement in c3 to c5 lesions all reflexes are exaggerated they may have sensory impairment of the entire body from c2 downwards c5 c6 lesions 
Biceps and brachioradialis reflex innervated by C5, C6 are sluggish or absent. Triceps, finger flexors and lower limb reflexes are exaggerated. Lesions at the C5 segment alone produce inversion of the brachioradialis reflex. Tapping on the radius produces exaggerated finger flexion without flexion and supination at the elbow. The patients will have lower motor neuron weakness of the deltoid biceps and other C5 C6 innervated muscles. There will be an upper motor neuron weakness below C5 C6 level. In pure C6 lesion, the lateral arm sensation is spared. The sensation of the rest of the body below it will be affected. C7 lesion. The tricep reflex innervated by C7 C8 root is sluggish or absent. The biceps and brachioradialis reflexes are normal. The patient may have a paradoxical triceps reflex which is flexion of the forearm on tapping olecranon due to contraction of normal biceps and absent triceps reflex. The finger flexor reflex is exaggerated. The patient will have weakness of flexors and extensors of the wrist. They may have a sensory loss at and below the third and fourth digits. CAT1 lesions. The patient may have unilateral or bilateral Horner's syndrome. They will have weakness and wasting of small muscles of the hand along with spastic paraparesis. The finger flexor reflex will be absent. They may have sensory loss over the fifth digit, medial forearm, arm and rest of the body below it. Thoracic cord lesion. The patient will have spastic paraplegia with a reliable sensory level mostly. The nipple corresponds to T4 level and umbilicus corresponds to T10. The patient may have root pain that mimics intercostal neuralgia. Most patients will have bladder, bowel and sexual dysfunction. The patients with lesion above T5 may have postural giddiness due to sympathetic dysfunction. Autonomic dysreflexia is a feature of the thoracic cord lesion above T6 characterized by hypertension, excessive sweating and reflux bradycardia precipitated by small stimuli like a distended bladder. The superficial abdominal reflux helps in localizing lower thoracic cord lesions. All reflexes are absent in the T6 lesion. Upper superficial abdominal reflux spared in T10 lesion. Both upper and lower superficial abdominal reflexes are normal in T12 lesion. In the T10 lesion, the beaver sign is positive. The normal upper abdominal muscles pull the umbilicus upwards when the patient flexes the head in the supine position. L1 lesion. The patient will have spastic paraparesis. The lower abdominal muscles are weak but challenging to demonstrate clinically. The knee and ankle jerk are brisk. There will be sensory loss below the groin in both lower limbs. L2, L3, L4 lesion. In the L2 lesion, the chromastic reflux is absent. In L2, L3, L4 lesions, the knee jerk is sluggish or absent. The ankle jerk is brisk. Sensory over the front of the thigh is paired in pure L4 lesion. L5 lesion. The extensor hallus is longus and foot dorsiflexion are weak. The hip flexion, adduction and knee extensions are normal. Knee jerk is normal. The ankle jerk is hyperactive. The sensation is normal in the thigh, medial side of leg, foot and sole. It is embedded from the L5 dermatome downwards. S1, S2 lesion. The patient will have weakness of plantar flexion and foot muscles. The ankle jerk is absent. The knee jerk is normal. There is loss of sensation in the sole of feet, heel, outer aspect of foot and ankle. The posterior thigh and saddle area is also anesthetic. The spinal cord segments from L4 to S2 is also called the epiconus. The lesion involving these segments is called the epiconus syndrome. Conus medullaris Conus medullaris is the lower end of the spinal cord. Lesions there causes damage to S3, S4, S5 segments of the spinal cord. 
Clinical features include weakness of pelvic floor muscles and early bladder involvement. There will be loss of voluntary initiation of micturition and bladder sensation with increased residual urine. The patient will have constipation with impaired erection and ejaculation. The anal and bulbocavernosis reflexes are absent. They will have symmetric saddle anesthesia. Radicular pain is absent in pure Connors syndrome. Perineal pain can occur late in the course of the disease. Codicuna The spinal cord ends at the L1 vertebral level. The involvement of roots in the spinal canal below the L1 vertebrae is called the codicuna. So it is not a spinal cord syndrome in the real sense. Any roots from L2 to S5 may be involved often in an asymmetric pattern. It produces an asymmetric motor sensory pure lower motor neuron syndrome. The knee and ankle jerk are variably affected. Asymmetric early radicular pain is characteristic of codicuna syndrome. Bowel and bladder involvement is rare and usually late. It can occur in extensive lesion. Sometimes lesion can involve both conus and codicuna and we will get a combination of clinical findings. We have learned how to localize a spinal cord lesion. Once you localize, check if it falls into any of the syndromes we studied in the previous session. That helps in finding the etiology. For example, sudden paraplegia with intramedullary localization sparing only the posterior column suggests anterior spinal artery syndrome. It helps to identify spinal cord ischemia as the probable etiology. Now let us localize a clinical case with what we have learned in this session. A 70-year-old head load worker presented with walking difficulty of one year duration. He had neck pain radiating down the right upper limb, which increased with coughing and straining. He had heaviness of both lower limbs with tipping over fine obstacles. There was slipping of chapels with knowledge from both feet. He had urinary symptoms for the last three months, including urgency and frequency. The patient had normal higher function and cranial nerve examination. Motor system examination showed spasticity of both lower limbs. There was bilateral toe grip weakness with grade 4 power in the right biceps. Biceps and brachioradialis reflex were absent on the right side. There was an inversion of the right brachioradialis reflex with an exaggerated finger flexor reflex. Lower limb reflexes were exaggerated with extensor plantar bilaterally. The joint position sense was impaired on both lower limbs with no sensory level. Examination of the skull and spine showed tenderness over the cervical spine. The diagnosis in neurology as usual contains four parts. The functional deficit in this patient is spastic quadriparesis. The anatomical localization in the axial plane is possibly an extramedullary lesion given the radicular pain and late bladder involvement. It is most likely extramedullary extradural as the patient had tenderness over the vertebrae. The vertical localization is in the cervical spine. The motor and reflex level here is at C5, C6. There is no sensory level in this case. Given the inversion of brachioradialis reflex, the localization is probably at the C5 level. The patient being a head load worker, the most probable etiology is cervical spondylosis. The MRI cervical spine of the patient showed disc prolapse at C4, C5 and C5, C6 levels with myelomalacia in the spinal cord and compression on the exiting right C5 root. The patient was treated with surgical decompression and fixation with a near complete resolution of symptom. The final diagnosis of this patient is spastic quadriparesis due to an extramedullary extradural compressive lesion on the cervical cord at C5 level due to cervical spondylosis. That finishes this week's discussion. It has been more than three months since we released our first episode. Thank you all for the warm response. The podcast is now heard in over 60 countries with more than 5000 downloads. This response has been my motivation to work harder and make better episodes. Spotify has started rating for podcasts. Please give a rating in the app if you hear it in Spotify.
your rating will help provide better visibility for the podcast in the app if you are using an apple device please give a rating and write a review it will be a big help you can also support me by buying me a coffee at the link provided in the show description your contribution will help scale up the show and will be much appreciated Thanks for listening to Clinical Neurology podcast. Kindly subscribe and review if you found it useful. You can follow Neurology Teaching Club Instagram account for exclusive figures of this podcast and visit our website neurologyteachingclub.com for more resources. The podcast and online content are meant for medical education only and should not be used to guide clinical decision making and treatment. You can find more of this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast or wherever you get your ear candy. It's Katie signing off and until we meet next time spread knowledge